Good morning. How's everyone doing? All right. I'm, this is not an illusion show. All right. I'll explain that later. I'll let you guys wonder what's in the bag. Um, well, good morning. This morning, um, before I jump into the message and we continue the series, I want to explain where our senior pastor is. Uh, you, normally, Josh is here and, and speaking. Uh, this morning, he's at another church. It's at Church in the Valley, um, or CIV for short. He's there with actually a handful of others from our church. They're with them to celebrate their 30th year anniversary. So almost exactly 10 years ago this month, CIV sent out a small group, a small team to, to launch a plant a church in Riverside. Um, they sent one of their own pastors and a group of families from their church as a launch team. Here's a picture of the launch team. You know some of them. Actually, you probably know all of them. They're all still around. But there's Josh and Erica on their left. DJ and Anna Chapman, Barry Palmer, before he was married. Uh, Scott and Penny are there. They're kids. And, and some kids that came later are not there yet. This was 10 years ago that CIV sent this bunch um, to plant a church. And in February 2008, so just a couple months after transplanting their lives here, Orange Crest Community Church had its first worship service. So we're coming up this February on 10 years. But today, CIV is celebrating 30 years of being a church. And we have so much gratitude for them. We are indebted to them uh, more than we could express. Not only did they help, they sent their people. They sent some dollars with their people. Um, but they also transplanted through them uh, a way of, of doing ministry that we're committed to. Um, we're like them in so many ways. They're still portable after 30 years. They set up and tear down in the Diamond Bar Community Center. Um, and so it really would be impossible to express our gratitude. But Josh is there, a handful of others, representing all of us and celebrating with them 30 years of God using them. And we're, we were there second out of three now church plants that came out of them. So we're also asking the Lord to keep using them 30 more years, 100 more years of, of using CIV. And so that's where Josh is. And, and I wanted to also just share with you about CIV's 30th year anniversary. It's very exciting. I'm sure you could go on their website and listen. Uh, I, in fact, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that. Um, I encourage you guys to listen sometime this week to their celebration. Just hear about what God has done through that. Okay, now we're back into Minor Prophets, Major Mission. Today is going to be the last message in this series. We've been looking at this group of, of people called the minor prophets, not because they were inferior compared to the major prophets or others, but because their writings were just shorter. Most, I think on average, their books are like four chapters long. Malachi today was four chapters long. So we're going to talk about Malachi. And let me tell you about the man before we get into how God used him in the message. Malachi was a prophet in the middle of the 5th century B.C., Okay, so before Christ, that's over, um, I'm sorry, it's less than 2,500 years ago. Um, his name means my messenger, and that's exactly how God used him. Malachi was God's messenger. And I, I mentioned he's the last minor prophet, so his book is accurately placed in our Bibles as the last in the Old Testament. This was the, the last word from God before he sent his son, Jesus. And that's where the New Testament takes off. So that's 400 years. So uh, let me go back. When, you, when you're looking at in your Bible, 
Or better yet, when you're looking on your phone at the book of Malachi, you get to chapter 4 and you scroll, there's about an inch between Malachi and Matthew, right? In your Bible, it's just a, a quick flip of the page. But that inch on your phone and that flip of the page is 400 years of, of history, of God speaking through Malachi, and then 400 years he was silent until he sent Jesus uh, into the world. And so just to wrap our minds around that, you know, 400 years sounds good. Well, 400 years ago from today, the USA was not the USA. America was not America. All right. It was John Rolfe had just married Pocahontas 400 years ago. I checked that on Wikipedia. OK, <laughs> I didn't just know that. But the King James Version of the Bible was the, the top seller in, in the year 16. It was printed in 1611, finished and printed. That's 400 years ago. And Galileo was in full swing observing the earth and, and the universe 400 years ago from today. So can you imagine? It's a strange thought for us. Can you imagine not hearing from God since Pocahontas and Galileo? That's, that's, that's what we're entering into and when we talk about Malachi. It's fair to assume... That God wanted his people to consider this message that he gave through Malachi. To marinate on it for 400 years. And this morning we're going we're gonna to join them in considering God's message that he gave through Malachi. So instead of keeping you on the edge of your seat the whole morning, I'll get to that later. That may, you may be on the edge of your seat for that too, but uh, there's nothing live in there. But I'm, I'm just going to tell you the main point. You know, sometimes you hear a a talk and the main point comes at the end. I'm not going to delay. And I'm not going to delay because that's not what Malachi did when God spoke through him. Near the early part of Malachi's writing, we find the major theme of his book. And it also is aligned with the major theme found throughout all of Scripture. So God could have said any number of things to his people before remaining silent for 400 years to think about. In fact, God could have chosen not to keep silent for 400 years and keep communicating, but, but he didn't. He chose to give this message and let them think for 400 years. And, and this is what he said. He tells us, God's mission is to establish a relationship with people of all nations for his glory. This is the main message And in fact, I want you to uh, underline or circle on your listening guide the last three words, for his glory, because that is that is the end. The establishing a relationship with people is the means, but the end is God's glory. It's not about you. It's about God's glory. God told his people that he tells us that today. Look in Malachi one, verse 11, at the beginning of his writing. God says this, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered my name, pure offering. These are descriptions of worship. God says, My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. No one else can claim this type of honor. No one else deserves this reputation that God is saying he deserves. All around the world, Throughout history, God has been praised. Today, all throughout the world, God was praised. Here's another way God describes himself in the book of Malachi to his people. Verse 14, chapter 1. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So God is saying here, he's the king. I'm the great king. And a king has a kingdom. God's kingdom is expanding and growing throughout time all over the world. 
fear in this verse. He says, my name will be feared among the nation. This doesn't mean um, I'm like I'm afraid of the dark type of fear, like I'm just trembling. What this means in the original kind of writing, what we lose in the English translation is, is taking God seriously enough to do what he says. When God says, I will be feared, it means I'm going to be taken seriously enough and people will obey me. But the interesting thing apart about this is that God leaves us the choice. We get to choose. Are we going to fear Him and do what He says and make His name great? Join Him in His mission for His glory? Are we going to do that? Or are we going to go our own way? Like, is it Fleetwood Mac? Go your own way? Um, that just popped into my head. It's catchy. Are we going to do that? Or are we going to go God's way and be about His mission? So here's a few related ideas. We're talking about Malachi, not Fleetwood Mac, okay? So let's get it back on track. But God, these ideas come out of that first point, is that God's built-in plan is to mobilize His people to carry out His mission. He has built into us the ability to join Him and align ourselves with Him in His mission. So for those that have chosen to be uh, aligned with God, who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, we bear the name Christian, which just means little Little Christ, we bear His name, so anything we do is either a plus or a minus for God's glory. Anything we even think or say, our actions are are enhancing God's reputation or not. Life on our, on earth is ultimately measured how with how well we align to God's mission in, in obeying Him. The the second reminder through Malachi about this is our strongest involvement flows as we buy in from the heart. Our strongest involvement, the, the amount <laughs> that of effort, the amount of, a, of energy we put into God's mission and being about Him, it's going to flow if we're more bought in from the heart level. And that is where Malachi is so helpful. Because today we're going to learn about what does wholehearted following after God look like. And, and we, we can do things half-hearted. You've heard that term. We can do things half-hearted. In fact, I probably went through a lot of school with not really a full heart behind my studies, you know. I didn't really want to be there. My shoes weren't cool. I did okay in class. But it wasn't like I was wholehearted the whole time I was in school. Maybe you're not like me, but maybe you were. I, another, I was thinking about this, this idea. When in my life was I really half hearted about something. And I remembered, I had forgotten, I blocked this memory out, but then I remembered as I asked myself that question in, in junior high, probably seventh grade, I went on this mission trip to this fruit um, drying factory, a fruit drying place. And their mission, it was a good, it was a good place. They, they took in secondhand fruit that wasn't good enough to sell or, or maybe it was almost expired. So they took it in for free and then they had teams help sort it and do the process. They dried it out and gave Gave it to people who needed food. It was a great deal. But in junior high, it was a, not a glamorous process now or then. I was not excited to stand at a conveyor belt and these rotten, you know, fruits. I think it was peaches when we were there. We're coming by. They're soft. They're kind of stinky. It was in the Central Valley, which if you know anything, it's hot in the summer. So there was just not this wholehearted effort on my part to be all about this thing that was going on. I was really looking forward to the end of the week. 
I probably did the tasks that were asked of me, but I was not wholehearted. And we can, we can do this, you know, not just in junior high. We can do this now in work. Maybe it's not rotten fruit, but maybe there are tasks that come by in front of you and we're just not super jazzed about. And, and in a spiritual sense, God asks us to do some things and we just would rather go through the motions and do what we're supposed to do and look forward to, to something else. And so the book of Malachi is a great picture of what happens when people do that and no longer serve God with their full heart. And so it's a helpful, it's a helpful roadmap to look at different situations like this. It's also a pretty strict warning. So as I, as I studied this and as you hear this today, I was challenged, I think you might be challenged this morning by what God said to his people to think about for 400 years. So I'll just identify with you already that I'm challenged by this as well. So I want to get to this illustration. This, I'm going to call this, um, well, it's kind of like a treasure bag, right? I'm going to call it your life's reward. Alright, what's in here isn't important, it's just a placeholder. Alright, what I want to do is go through a little exercise and have you fill this up with, with your own life's reward. So certainly your money, we would consider, that's our life's reward. All the money I will make uh, over my whole life. So right now, okay, this is going to be a difficult exercise for us. But just from your seat, consider how much money, if I just liquefied everything, and what is my current worth? You know, you hear current worth of all the billionaires, but what is yours? Think about it. In fact, what will your worth be in the future until you die? And we're just guessing. You can round up. That's okay. But, but get a number in your head and deposit that mentally in here. All of it. All the money that you ha- have or, or will have. Deposit it in there. Leave it there for a minute. All right? Um, don't feel too uncomfortable. It's, it's just... Mentally, put it there. Also, how about your reputation and your honor? The good name that you've built up for yourself. Go ahead and put it in here. Deposit it in here. Now, your relationships. For some people, you value your relationships more than money or reputation. This is the top thing. Put, so put in here, just mentally, your, your relationships, your, your most valued relationships. Your academic degrees that you've earned. Put in all of your time that you live or, or will live. And lastly, all your plans, your hopes for life, your, your dreams, put it all in here. There's more I could say, but what I'm trying to, to get out into this bag is your life's reward. Okay, so leave it here for the morning. I'm going to close it up. All right, so here it is. This is your life's reward. Now we're getting closer to an understanding of what we mean by wholehearted, what God is, is talking about when he says he wants your whole heart, your, all, your, all of your devotion. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So here it is. Being wholehearted means if God says to invest over here, we, we put it here and we, and we let it be and we look to God for what's next. We back away. If God says put it over there, we, we, we pick it up, maybe it's a move, maybe it's a career change, and we say, okay, God, there it is. What's next? Let me serve you. And it's our whole heart is there. If God says pour it out over here, he means pour it out. It's just a stuffed animal, but, but, but pour it out. If he says surrender a couple things out of there, that's what offering your whole heart to God looks like. God is worthy of our obedience. He's the king. And he's not interested in less than our whole hearts. And so that's where we dive in and look at his message to his people that he had them think about for 400 years. See, we all struggle with holding back our hearts and our lives from God and his purposes. 
This is a very real struggle because our tendency is to keep both eyes, both hands on our reward. We want to lock this thing down. We want to clip it to our, our belt and, and it's always there. We check it every once in a while. It's still there. Here's the description of, of how God's people felt regarding following God after, with their whole hearts. And let me mention this before we jump into a few passages. In, in Malachi, the way it's written, it's a dialogue between God and then the response from his people. And the response from his people is, sounds more like an immature teenager than a, a full-grown, you know, mature group of people. So, as you, you'll see what I mean as we get into this. But, but God says this. This is their feeling towards following God with their whole heart. God accuses, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, here's the teenage response, questioning everything. How? How have we spoken against you, God? And he answered it. You said it's vain to serve God. What's the profit of keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. God's people are saying, look at them. They're getting blessing. The evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and escape. So the people are telling God with their own lips, it's not worth serving you. It's vain. They're saying, it's not worth putting this, my reward, my whole life down in front of you because it's not worth it. There, there's no profit in it for me for, for doing that. In fact, from our angle, the arrogant people are getting blessed more than we are. The evildoers are getting around your law and getting away with it. And that was their limited perspective. Uh, they, they weren't patient enough to see that God doesn't allow that always to happen. So the people had spoken out against God. And next we see uh, that we often struggle with the same thing. The same attitudes. They make us want to hold back. Because we say the same thing. God, it's not worth it. It's, it's in vain to follow you with my whole heart. And so, the, so Malachi unfolds, giving us several indicators we can identify with God's people, seeing these indicators that we are holding back from God. So I want to look at these. Here, here's some indicators, and you have them listed on the back. And in fact, before I jump in, there's one mistake on here that just gets your pen ready. On that second bullet point, bullet point it says Malachi 1.6 through 2.9. That should just be 1.9. Okay, so fix that. And then everything on here is now accurate. All right, so, so there you go. I want you to have the accurate scripture references. But here's the first indicator we can learn from God's interaction with his people through Malachi. It's that when we become ungrateful for God's provision, that's an indicator that we're holding back. Ungratefulness is a mark that we're holding back. God really had cared for his people up to this point in history when, when he was speaking through Malachi. But they did not show appreciation. They had forgotten. They were ungrateful. And this is so much of our struggle too, isn't it? We're grateful one day and we get greedy the next day. We have to battle this down. Uh, look at this interaction between God and his people in verses uh, 2 through 5. God said, I've loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? There's the ungrateful attitude right there. God, how have you loved us? And God says, go ahead and look at history. So he brings them back and says, Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, 
that Esau I have hated. I've laid waste to his hill country, left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. So let me explain this. This is the history of God's people. Abraham had Isaac. These are patriarchs of of God's people. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And God said, I'm going to bless the line, the family line of Jacob and not Esau. And so, if in verse, uh, sorry, verse 4, God says, If Edom says, these are the descendants of Esau. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild this. The Lord says, they may build, but I will tear it down. They will be called the wicked country, the people with whom your Lord is angry forever. So that other group is not going to succeed, God says. But you, your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God is reminding them, I love you. And, and one day you'll remember, as you should, but the right response to all that God has done for them at this point was to be grateful. But they were ungrateful. And that's an indicator for us too, that we're holding back from God. When we forget what He's done for us, Here's another rebuke from God that he called his people to repent from. But we give our worst, not our best. This is an indicator, again, that we're holding back from God. When we're holding on to this life reward, and, and once, once we deposit here, we, oh, there's a little left over that we'll give to God. So, so this interchange um, in verses 6 through 8 in Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father, a servant his master, This is God saying, Then if I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, O priest, who despise my name. So God is saying, I'm your father, I'm your master, where's my honor? And they say, How have we despised your name? And God answers, By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? God says, By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. So this is reference to God told them how they ought to worship. And it was, bring your best uh, animals. Bring, bring your best of your flock and the best of your resources and offer that to me. But what they were doing... God's people decided that's kind of a waste of resources to do it that way. So they started giving God their leftovers. The leftovers that they were going to let die anyway, the blind and the lame and the sick, they were just going through the motions, giving that to God. And, when, and we can do this too. We, you know, we're not offering our flocks of animals. You know, thank goodness. God doesn't ask that of us now. But what He does ask is the best of our time, of our abilities, of our treasure, of our resources. God is really asking for the best of this. And God wants us to give Him the best of our day. But sometimes, myself included, we wake up and we hit the ground running without giving Him a nod in the morning. He wants us to give off the top of our pay period. But, if we, but sometimes we don't and we go through our, our routines and if there's anything left over, oh yeah, then we, we need to give some to God. This is an indicator giving God our worst, is that we really don't believe that God is a factor in our lives. We really don't believe that He will come through for us. The one who deserves our best is not getting it. So that's a challenge to to me. That's a challenge to us. Another challenge that God brings to His people, indicator that we're holding back, is that our commitment to family life, God's way, is weak. And I'm just going to summarize this passage. I encourage you to, to go back and read it. In chapter 2, 
But, but God is accusing his people rightly that, that you, you guys are divorcing your wives. You're, you're leaving the wife of your youth, your first wives that I asked you to be faithful to. And you're not raising godly children. God is bringing this accusation against them. And we see in this that God's goal for family life is to have godly marriages and godly kids that are raised in these marriages, if, if God blesses with kids. Marriage is meant to be a reflection of the way Christ loves His church. We learn that in the New Testament. And so the goal of marriage is just that, to reflect God's goodness. When a man and a woman play their roles in marriage, there is power in that because it's God's design. So in marriage, we may have conflict with with our spouse, but we never tire of making things right in our marriage. When we do that, guess what happens? Not only does the marriage go well, but we show the whole world the wisdom of God's way. Remember, it's not about us. It's for His glory. We may be frustrated with our spouse, but when we refuse to let our hearts wander from being faithful to our spouse. This pleases God and and it allows us to honor His name and His view of marriage. That's what marriage is for. There is beauty and power to staying faithful in marriage and over time working through the trouble together. And if God blesses with kids, uh, big surprise, it's not about us, it's not about them, it's about God's name being made great through our kids. So we raise them to to live God-referenced lives this is a struggle to do, but this is what God calls us to do. There's, a, there's, there's other indicators in Malachi. It keeps, it keeps coming at us. Here's another one. When we keep what is God's for ourselves, This is an indicator that, that we're holding back from God. God says, return to me, chapter 3, verse 7. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? God says, yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? God says, in your tithes and contributions. You are actually cursed with a curse because you robbed me. The whole nation of you. Listen to this. This is, this is a key piece of God's promise when we are obedient to offer our whole heart to Him and obey Him. Listen to this, verse, uh, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So God basically says, obey this. Give from your resources the full tithe. And thereby put me to the test. God says, test me on this. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour out a blessing until there's no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruit of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. He's saying what you put your hand to will be successful. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. It's hard not to to think, cool, what's in it for me? I'll do this and get back. God promises that, but again, it's for His glory. Why would He want to bless His people so much? who are obedient to Him. It's for His glory. People around will say, wow, what's going on over there? I need to find out. So the prophet here, Malachi, connects the dots. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings a curse. God promises to people who put righteousness above their life reward. When righteousness, doing what's right before God, is more important than our reward at the end, there's blessing And he promises to help us as we stretch our faith in doing that. That's why this is a major heart issue. Because our heart is so wrapped up in our reward. 
So, so all of this, God uses Malachi to make all of this very clear. Half-hearted faith doesn't cut it. God wants our whole heart. God wants to work through a group of people who are fully devoted to Him. Not who offer some and, or leftovers to Him. But, but he, he invites us to join Him in His mission. And the ones who stay the course long term are the ones who are bought in from the heart level. There's a couple more things that, that are identified on your listening guide that I won't cover this morning. Uh, righteousness and justice ignored as an indicator that we're holding back. Choosing a me-first attitude is another thing. So get into that and, and read for yourself how God interacts with His people on those issues. But now we ask, why is this such a struggle for us? Why is it so hard to offer this, our reward, our whole life, whole heart to God? It's probably for these two reasons. Number one, me first living. This is natural to us. We come first. I want what I want. When I want it, the way I want it, you know, Burger King, what they say, have it your way. That's what we want. We want life our way on our terms. And unless obeying God allows that, then I may not be uh, all, all in. I may not be full-hearted. Also, fear. We can get into fear. If we really lay this down and trust God with our life reward, we can get afraid. What if God doesn't do what He says He's going to do? What if my needs aren't met? I'm going to be missing out on some stuff that I had hoped to do if it was my way. So, so we, we have fear. And these, this is the struggle. I heard a wise person yesterday, I was listening to this conference, a wise man said about wisdom, about getting wisdom, he said, we don't waste our lives decades at a time. We don't waste decades at a time. We waste situations at a time. And as those stack up, thousands of situations were in a year, tens of thousands in a decade and so forth, and we can waste situation by situation rather than decade by decade. And so, that's how life goes. It's made up of a situation today, and then another one tonight, and then a new set of situations tomorrow and throughout the week. And so, we have in each situation a chance to offer this whole heart to God or to take the reins and, and to take some for us um, or offer God the leftovers. And so, I want to I encourage you and challenge you to think about that. As a church, here's one situation that as a church body together we are facing. Uh, it could be an opportunity uh, and, and, and we're looking at purchasing this building. Um, we still don't have any update on that, by the way. So we've put in an offer. We're waiting. All right. And, and so what I want you to consider and what Josh, our senior pastor, all he has said to us is to ask God, to lead. We want, to, we want the door to close if this is not what he wants. Or we want him to, to reveal, yeah, go for it. The other part of what we want to be praying for, what Josh has asked us to pray for, is, is to be willing to obey what God says. Just be willing. That's where we're at. Be willing to obey what God puts on our heart to do. And so that's a situation. As a group, collectively, we can practice this. Again, we have our individual lives as well. And so... Here, so what do we do with this? What do we do with the, the facts? What do we do with the challenge of doing this? And God says this, Return to God and invest your whole heart in His mission. Just return to God. You, you can do this. Check out this incredible promise from God's mouth in Malachi. God says, For I the Lord... This is chapter 3, verse 6. I the Lord do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. 
From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Isn't that incredible? God is saying, I still love you. I still, I haven't changed. You wander. Your hearts are prone to wander, a song says. But God says, return to me and I will return to you. Maybe you're here and you've committed your life to Jesus Christ at a, previously, at a young age or recently, but, but you've wandered. Maybe you've, you've wandered and, and you've taken this back a little bit. Maybe you've, you've managed to get your hand back in there or you've managed to just fully guard this thing back. So God says, return to me, offer that to me. Maybe for the first time this morning, God is saying, this is right. This is, join me in my mission. I love you. So surrender your heart to me for the first time. Maybe the, the, the next step for you today is to surrender your whole heart to God this morning. There, the Bible is full of promises for those that follow Jesus Christ. It's, there's joy in this life. There's joy in relationships. There's a greater mission we can join Him on than what ours would have been. The reality is that God takes care of His people. So I'm not saying the Christian life is easier than, it, than the alternative is, but by far it is more full and meaningful when we drop our hearts before the Lord and offer it all fully to Him. So I'm going to wrap up this morning and ask you guys to consider these next steps. They're on the bottom of your listening guide. But consider today, is there something holding you back from a wholehearted faith? Is there something in your life reward that is just too hard to let go? Or to offer to God. Consider that. Maybe there's, there's something holding you back. The second line is blank. Maybe God spoke to you specifically about something through His Word. So write that down. I, we encourage everybody to consider what is your next step. This message from Malachi, this message from God through Malachi is an important message. So much so that God wanted His people to consider it for 400 years. To, to roll it around in their minds. So would you consider it further today and this week? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And today we're, we're, we're challenged. We're reminded that you desire our, our whole heart. God, you don't want some. You don't want leftovers. God, you require just a full surrender to you. But what, what's amazing, God, is how you love us, how you do meet our needs, how you bless beyond what we could have imagined as we align ourselves to you. It's an incredible thing to get to know you, to know that you don't change, and to know your love. God, yet you are righteous, you are holy, and, and you deserve everything, our, us aligning to you. And so I pray, God, we need your help. This is such a struggle for us to do. But would you help us as we surrender our lives to you? We put righteousness above our own reward. We need your help, God, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.